I just love what you do for me. You're so reliable, smart and incredibly well-connected. <clears throat> Excuse me, could I pay for my meal? Oh, of course, just having a moment with my Combank Smart Terminal. Tap away. Feel a stronger connection. With extra connectivity, you're always payment ready. There's more to love with the Combank Smart Terminal. Mm, it is a nice terminal. Eligibility criteria, fees and T's and C's apply. Hey, welcome to the Medicubes podcast, where we bring you all that's good, exciting and sometimes challenging in primary health care. I'm Chris Spee, joined by my good friends Kim Pointer and Rivka Hagen. Together we bring a wealth of experience and passion, as well as being in the thick of what's going on in our industry. We used to have a laugh, debrief and chat about all the big issues and what was happening in our own professional worlds and invite you to join us in this conversation. So join us and our invited guests every month to bring you a lighthearted take on the latest, greatest and controversial issues and a few pearls of wisdom along the way. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which we meet and pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. A hearty welcome from Birupai country. And uh, Rivka Hagen here. I'm meeting you from Jajawurrung country. And a big hello from Turbul and Jagara country. Hello everyone and welcome to this special My Medicare edition of the Medicubes podcast. Today we're going to really unpack everything we've been learning over the last week, trying to dispel some rumors, make things a little bit clearer where we can. Maybe ourselves will get confused, we'll try and find the answers as we rock and roll through this new experience that is My Medicare. Joined today by the wonderful Rivka Hagen. Hey Riv, how are you? Hey, how's everyone? I'm doing just fine. Thanks, Chris. And as usual, the wonderful, fabulous Kim Pointer. Hey, everyone. Isn't it exciting, like, getting this drip-fed information about this new changing landscape we're heading towards? So I'm really excited to discuss what we know today. Oh, and look, talking of today, we're going to start with a little disclaimer that we don't normally have, that we're actually recording this on the 3rd of July in the afternoon. Because this is a moving space, if you're listening to this in a month's time, maybe in a week's time, who knows with the way the space is moving, things may have changed. So make sure you do check the facts that they are up to date at that point in time. We've compiled this from a number of different learning modules, fact sheets, Q&A, websites that have come out to try and provide some real uh, solid information. But once again, make sure you check it once you listen to this and are doing something around my Medicare. But I guess we should start with the first question. If you do not know, what exactly is my Medicare? And I think, Kim, you're pretty qualified to talk us through what it might be. Well, it's all very exciting and, you know, it was hot off the press last week and it stopped us all in our track to read what it is. But really the essence comes from previous episodes. If you want to go back and listen, particularly episode eight, where we interviewed Tracy Johnson, we had a big discussion around voluntary patient enrollment. You might hear it interchangeably being called VPE. You'll hear that over two episodes, episode eight and nine. And then when we had the budget, we had the release and we had the episode recording with the RACGP, episode 13, you'll also hear us make mention of it. So it's not healthcare homes and it's absolutely voluntary. That's a big point. Hey, it is voluntary. Yeah. And do your homework. Like before you jump into anything, like we always tell you, take a breath, do your reading and make sure that you understand what you're entering into. And it's My Medicare. And My Medicare is labelled as a new voluntary, as we just emphasised, patient registration model. 
It aims to strengthen the relationship between patients, their general practice, GP and primary care items. So, you know, I always have this visual, I'm a very visual learner of the patient being in the centre and all everyone, the wraparound care from the outside and, you know, making sure that there's good governance and good care and generous care being provided to our clients. So, you know, it's a step in the right direction. I don't know all the details yet. So (laughs) we just uh, have to stay tuned to that. So, yeah, in terms of the new My Medicare program, what it's really seeking to achieve is that continuity of care for patients. As we know, when patients receive their care from a team that's known to them and the team knows the patient, that the health outcomes are going to be superior. They're going to ensure that none of the information gets missed or falls between the cracks. So that notion of quality of care is really important there. So let's get into the nuts and bolts of what the program is actually going to look like and we'll caveat that by saying this is what we know at this point in time. So what we know, particularly for the patients who are going to be receiving my Medicare, the aims are that we're getting that better patient outcome. That's what we're aiming for. And obviously there's going to be you know more of that broadening of that team. We've heard about the multidisciplinary team. So again, we know there's going to be an adjustment to what they can access in terms of accessing their GP. So we know that there's going to be telephone calls, which is really super exciting, that patients can receive level C and level D phone calls. So that's going to really help with access, equity, really building up that scope of how we can provide service delivery. And in addition to that, there's going to be a tripling of the bulk billing incentive for people who are receiving telehealth consultations for level C, D and E, particularly if they're on a pension card holder, healthcare card holder, or a child under the age of 16. So they're really important nuances. We also know, as Rivka highlighted, that it's about making sure that we have regular patients. And so it's really important that we build an approach that we have, you know, many ways that they can access care. What about your thoughts, Chris? So I'm happy to be the person who gets this wrong, Kim, but let me talk you back my understanding and hopefully that sort of matches your understanding. So my understanding is that once a patient is registered with your practice, and at the moment we don't know what that criteria is to register, they will then have access to MBS-funded level C and D telephone telehealth consults. Is that correct? So they also can have longer MBS-funded telephone calls level C and D as well. Yeah. So have a look on the second dot point. Awesome. And then we've got the triple of the bulk billing incentive for longer MBS telehealth consultations for level C, D and E for those people that are in that pension card, healthcare card and under the age of 16. So it's really important that practices understand that. I mean, we're having this debate around us going, what does it mean? What doesn't it mean? So it's, you know, I've had lots of questions asked and I'm sure you guys have as well about is it, for all patients, is it what if they're not registered with My Medicare? We've heard about the tripling incentive. Does that apply or doesn't it apply? So there's lots of still unknowns or discussions happening. So I'm glad you, you know, came back just to really check in, Chris, that our understandings are the same. I just want to highlight too that there is that notion of difference between a telephone consultation and what we are referring to as a telehealth consultation, which is the video conferencing 
type of interaction. And I think people are really getting a little bit confused too, thinking that telehealth is a telephone call and that's not quite what we're referring to in this way as well. And that's why we wanted to have this podcast today because we were like, there's lots of different nuances and uh, we educate each other as we go. So that is awesome. So I guess then that's the key billing things that are happening straight up. But there are some other things that my Medicare will give practices access to. Riv, do you want to talk us through some of them? Yeah. So I guess one of the points that has gotten me pretty excited about the program, and this is also going to be a challenge for practices as well. So patients who are enrolled with a practice and a practitioner, therefore, they're going to be excluded from being able to tap into especially chronic disease services management from other practices. So by enrolling a patient, it kind of locks the chronic disease management services with that provider, with that practice. That's a really important part to remember for practices and why you might want to be quite proactive about looking to enrol patients to your practice. It stops the seepage of those services being provided by practitioners who are not the patient's usual provider. So that's a really good thing. The flip side of that is that if you don't enrol patients to your practice, you are opening the door up to other practices to entice the patient to come and enrol with them. So that's just something from a process point of view that practices just need to start thinking about now in terms of do we participate or do we say, no, we don't want to play in that space. So I think that's an interesting one. Chris? So once again, I get to be the person who tries to talk it back to see whether we've got it right. I've been reading through a lot of the online groups and seeing lots of confusion around this. Is this sort of a right assumption? Is And I know we're using the word enroll and register in the same context in this one, but remember it is registration. So once a patient registers with my practice, they can only get chronic disease management from my practice. If they don't register, so they don't engage in the My Medicare registration process, they can still get chronic disease management from any general practice. Is that sort of the right understanding? I'm seeing some nods on my screen, so I hope I've got it right this time. Chris made you yeah. ring and ding, ding correct again. So look oh. at you go. <laughs> I'm going to get a gold star on understanding of my Medicare. Someone always has to be the schmutz who, uh, who talks it back. No hate mail if I get it wrong. But no, I think <laughs> that's really exciting, isn't it? Because I know in practices, people will go to a different practice on a Sunday when they're traveling and suddenly for some reason, and I'm not saying this happens everywhere, but they end up with a care plan and they weren't their regular GP. And then you lose the billing and all that hard work. And so if the patient was registered with your practice, if they went somewhere else and they tried to bill that, it wouldn't be allowed. So I think that's an, a, a great way to support some of our most vulnerable patients. Yeah, absolutely. And just coming back to that risk that is associated for practices with this framework as well, is that if you are not proactive about labelling patients who regularly attend your practice as being registered to your practice, then the risk is that they become enrolled to another practice. And I would imagine in the competitive space of primary care, don't underestimate the desirability of practices to actually capture those cohorts. And so, look, I'm not wanting to throw any sort of threats out there at all or unnecessarily worry practices, but I have heard a number say, 
we don't want to participate in this. And that's absolutely a decision that a practice or a practitioner can make. But on the flip side, that is the risk that they are then entering into that your chronic disease patients are actually going to reside with a practice where the extension of those services are going to be able to be offered. So be careful is what my message would be. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's a great thing to really do your homework on. Just also to add to it, if you do have someone who's registered and they have got complex chronic disease, for instance, there is also going to be new blended funding payments that are going to come out to support better care in the community for those cohorts that we're speaking about now who potentially are on a care plan and having chronic disease management, who are the frequent flyers into hospital. So there's also going to be additional funding associated with having someone registered to your practice. So really, that's why we're saying do your homework and look at the whole picture and the entire picture of it. Because again, this is something that's not going to be rolled out till next year. We don't know all the details of it just yet, but it's certainly worth knowing that if you do register your patients, because that's going to happen this year, that then, of course, you're looking at those broader opportunities to assist and support and give really great generous care to your clients with chronic and complex needs. Now, there, there are also some changes happening in the residential aged care facility space as well. Kim, can you tell us a bit more about what's happening there as far as my Medicare is concerned? Well, what we know, and this is what we're, we just keep covering off, this is what we know because, we, as we said, we're getting <laughs> information. It's a, a moving feast at the moment that there's going to be an aged care incentive from the 1st of August 2024, which will support regular health assessments, care plans and regular GP visits for people in residential aged care facilities. Now, this is an area that GPs have not been able to keep supplying care to. So again, I think it's just looking at another way that they can incentivise practices to really provide the support where Currently, there's diminishing and declining rates of support due to the funding structure. And Chris, what do practices need to do next in order to get ready for all of these changes? We do love a form or an online portal in practice, don't we? I feel like COVID (laughs) taught us one thing. We love a form. We love an uploader or a download. There's a lot of information floating around. I think the fact sheets that we'll chuck in the show notes really talk through the process. Clearly, the first thing, step one, would be to make sure your practice is eligible. Most of the general practices I speak to, that isn't really a big concern. They will be eligible. There is an requirement around being an accredited general practice. If you're not an accredited general practice, there are some exceptions. We don't have time in the podcast to jump into them, but definitely jump online, have a look at them. Then you need to jump online and make sure you link your organization in PRODA, following the various steps that are called to steps two and three in most of the material the government has been putting out. So just to be really clear, what this is doing is registering your practice. We don't know yet how patients are going to register with your practice. That is a big unknown and I think could be a massive shift in workforce and how we manage our patients. So my advice would be there's some really clear guidelines, three steps to what they're asking you to do from 1 July. Do those steps. Even if you choose not to register people later on or you choose what you're going to do later on, I'd be happy to look at those steps and making sure you know how to enact them because we do know that changes to PRODA and HPOS and everything 
if it finds something weird or there's something's not linked or something needs to happen, those forms can take a while, hey, to get things all linked up correctly and get a doctor in the right space at the right time to get things linked in can sometimes be a challenge. So tackle those first steps and then start to be really cognizant of what are we going to do come 1 October when patients can register for my Medicare. There's going to be options for patients to register online and in person is all we know at this stage. That's all we know. So I think that's going to be something that I think we'll probably do a special episode of the podcast where we find out how patients are going to be registering with some tips and tricks around how to make that happen. And I would say too, I'm just going to jump in there for us for a moment too, Chris, is that the thinking that practices will want to undertake at this point in time, if they're saying, yep, we're going to register our practice through PRODA, do those eligibility checks and do the work that we can do, those three steps now, what practices might want to have a bit of a think about is how do we advise our patient cohort that we're going to invite them to register to our practice. So what's the marketing going to look like and the messaging around that? And that's something that you will want to have some team meetings about and make sure that everybody is on board with how that's going to roll out. I think that's a really good point. You know, often the media make these broad sweeping announcements and then, you know, your reception staff may get just a deluge of phone calls and the like. So Think about when potentially if your practice moved from bulk billing to mixed billing, for instance, what did you do that worked in terms of communicating those messages out? So you might just want to apply some of those things that you've done in the past. As Rivka said, between you doing the first step of registering your clinic and then thinking about how we're going to get this message out so our clients, our patients are very clear on what they need to do and how they're going to go about. And, of course, you can only do that when you have that information and we haven't got that just yet. We just know a date at this stage and the fact that it could be multimodal of either you doing it for the patient on their behalf or the patient doing it for themselves. So, again, you just want to make sure that they're aware of you are their team and you want their business. Exactly. And I think that's something that we need to involve the whole practice in as well. It can't just be something that as a practice manager, you're cognizant of because your nurses and your receptionists are going to start getting questions around this. Um, your doctors are going to start getting questions around this. If they work at two practices, they'll be knowing what other practices are starting to do. So I think it's bringing yeah. the team along for the journey, maybe simplifying some of the noise out there around this down to some key points and what it means for your practice and some really easy FAQ questions that your nursing and reception can use with patients when they ask questions. Here's some little scripts we've got. Here's some advice we've got. Here's some key timelines we have. It's going to be all hands on deck when things start to move. So we want to make life as easy as possible in the lead up to it. Now, I was going to say too, Chris, that just in terms of all of that messaging, I know that your practices are still feeling quite cagey about the whole My Medicare kind of story. And what we want to portray to our patients is our enthusiasm that if we're going to jump on board, if we're going to be part of this, that positive message starts to get told from here on in rather than going, oh, look, we don't know, we don't know, we don't know what's going to happen and we're not going to participate or we're just very concerned about it. To really start spinning this into something a little more positive around the care for patients and the notion of a medical destination, that's a really valuable thing. And some of the practices that we work with are actually telling us that they're using things like the 10997s 
as a way to start engaging with their regular patients. As long as what's being discussed in that appointment is tied to what was required for the plan, it's actually a really good way to re-engage with the patients. And while they're there and talking, maybe you have some fact sheets or information around because you're seeing the patient and the patient is like, I'm getting time with my nurse in my practice is a really important way that you can start doing it in the current funding envelope as long as it's tied back to those patient outcomes there as well. Kim, I know you've been keeping a really close eye on what's popping up online. What are some sort of key questions, maybe some misunderstandings that might be emerging? What could we maybe help clear up today? Oh, there's been so much discussion around it, hasn't there? But, you know, I'm, I'm still seeing a little bit of people not understanding that 1st of July we had indexation to the Medicare items generally, okay? So that happened. And now we, yes, have heard particularly all over the media there was a tripling incentive and we've just covered off, hopefully, you're clearer on that, that that is going to be for all our community members, whether they're registered or not registered. What's going to be different, particularly for the clients that are registered with My Medicare, is those telephone consults and the telehealth consults. They're the ones that are going to have those extra additional activities associated with it, plus also those other incentives we discussed with the aged care, as well as the frequent flyer program. Again, we don't know all the detail as we discussed earlier on, but I just want everyone to be very crystal clear on, yes, the general items just had indexation, which is we celebrate that. That was hard work and finally got that over the line to happen. We celebrate the tripling of the incentive. That's broadly, but just know in addition to that, if you do have your clients registered with you, you will get those telehealth and telephone additional items as well. So, you know, I think that that's really a value. There's been discussion about the level E consultations and where the nurse's time can be added into that. You know, we're not going to cover off those things. That's go and ask Me Medicare those subtle details that you need to get in writing. Maybe ask Medicare will help you with those things. Yeah, and look, my take on that would certainly be that if it follows the normal consultation type of pathway, then the answer to that will be no, because there is no circumstance where a nurse's time counts towards any consultation time. The exception to that is for health assessments. So I'd be very cautious about adding nurse time into calculating the item length for any GP consultation time. It's not permitted. And I think I'd eat my hat if that were to change from the 1st of November for um, the new level E consultation. And another question was around if the clients are voluntary registered to our clinic on my Medicare, would this take away the onus on getting consent for bulk billing on every consult? Oh, I don't know. I haven't seen the detail, but Riff, you've got a pretty strong opinion about it. And Chris, so I can see you shaking your head as well. So I'm going to throw it to yeah. you guys. Riff, and then we'll get to you. Yeah, look, I'd be chomping at the bit at this one. The answer to that is absolutely no. That is not a substitute for getting a appropriate assignment of benefit for any item that is claimed within your practice on bulk billing. Where a patient is bulk billed for any service, proper assignment of benefit procedures must be undertaken for every service that is delivered and that is not going to change with the enrolment of patients to your practice. It is not a blanket to just claim any item without the patient's involvement there. That's simply not going to fly. Chris, 
the accountant in me echoes exactly what you just said, Riff, I don't think it would, would wait to be amazed and I'd be eating my hat too. So we might have a hat eating competition <laughs> live on maybe a Facebook Live one day, Riff, if that comes through. Hey, it's been an awesome episode. I know we're running out of time. Look, there's still lots of questions that are floating around. Exactly how will a patient do their enrollment? How do we as a practice check if they're enrolled? How do we know if they're getting those incentives, what we bill? How is this frequent hospital user incentive going to work? We don't have the answers to those questions yet. And I think anyone out there who does at the moment, we just need to wait until we get some documentation through because the devil is in the detail. And I think we learned that during COVID that sometimes in the media would see one thing, but then when we got the actual item descriptors or something through, the detail was very important and nuanced there. Our commitment to you as our amazing listeners is we're going to try our best to keep you up to date with factual information that we can, where it comes from and the source is something that we trust. Over the next couple of weeks, months, years, as this all rolls out, please stay tuned for more information. Riff and Kim, any final thoughts for this episode? Oh, look, for me, I would probably just echo the fact that this is a really great opportunity to provide solid support for patients who have chosen your practice as its medical home, and there are tangible benefits that are going to come along with it. And again, I would just reiterate that if you're saying this is not for me, understand the risk that you are undertaking in terms of patients going elsewhere for exactly that kind of support and service. Don't forget that it's really important. Yeah, do your homework and really just take a breath. You know, there's no rush. You just need to register your practice for now. That doesn't commit you to anything and then just do your pre-planning on how you're going to roll this out, what you're going to communicate to your clients and your communities. And let's just keep ourselves up to date with the facts. As Chris said, there's lots of discussion out there, lots of myths, and the devil's in the details. So let's just take a breath and wait till that's all released. There's a great e-learning package that was just released over the weekend. So that's on Services Australia. If you want to go through and work through that module, we'll have that in the show notes. So go through. It's very simple. It's got all the detail that we know to date. And we look forward to bringing you the next update. All right. Thanks a lot, everyone. We'll talk to you next time. Bye for now. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Medicubes podcast. Make sure you subscribe via your favourite podcast listening app so you don't miss an episode. Medicubes is brought to you by Cubico, MediCoach and Medical Business Services with technical support from the awesome crew at Talking Health Tech. This podcast presents information of a general nature and we recommend that you obtain professional advice for your individual circumstances always. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions and suggestions for future topics on the show. Make sure you visit us via the Minicubes website, which you can access via the show notes of this episode. Also, if you're enjoying the show, write us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share it with someone who might get some value from it so we can continue to share these important messages with more people. Speak to you next time.